Many of you are familiar with the well-known Hadith Qudsi or divine saying, the Hadith of the Hidden Treasure. The Prophet quotes God as saying, I was a hidden treasure and I love to be known, so I created the creatures. It would be fair to say that the impression of Islam as a religion of love comes from this Hadith. Henri Corban, one of the early Ibn Arabi scholars in the West, described his impression of Ibn Arabi's view on God by making reference to this hadith. Quote, a divine being alone in his unconditioned essence, of which we only know one thing, precisely the sadness of the primordial solitude that makes him yearn to be revealed in beings who manifest him to himself. Perhaps the sadness is speculative, but it's intriguing to consider. I don't know. Regardless, scholars have maintained that Ibn Arabi's entire metaphysical vision is deeply rooted in the Hadith Qudsi of the hidden treasure. I would like to give some perspectives on how this love pervades explications of the covenant of Alast in particular, both before Ibn Arabi and after him. So, what is the covenant of Alast? Most scholars refer to it as an event that takes place before time began. According to the Quran, before God molded the clay of Adam, his first words to his creatures were the words of the covenant, Alastu Barabakum, am I not your Lord? They answered, or we answered, yes, we testify. The full text reads, and when thy Lord took from the children of Adam, from their loins, their progeny, and made them bear witness concerning themselves. Am I not your Lord? They said, Yea, we bear witness. And the text continues, Lest you should say on the day of resurrection, Truly of this we were heedless. The importance of the verse has been characterized by scholars as the cornerstone of Islamic sacred history, and the idea has the idea that has impressed Muslims more than any other idea. At the same time, it has been noted that scholarship on the covenant of Alast and its place within the tradition is lacking as compared to the breadth of scholarship on the covenants in Judaism and Christianity. My aim today is to demonstrate how Ibn Arabi and those in his school of thought, like the Sufis before them, thought of the covenant of Alast as a promise of love. I'll start by giving you a taste of the covenant in literary and religious consciousness. For one, the Persian poets often refer to the covenant of Alast as the banquet of Alast, as in this passage from 12th century Ahmed Samani. On the day of, am I not your Lord? A table of love was set up. By the, by the decree of gentleness, you were sat down at the table and given a lawful morsel from the covenant of Lord Hood's majesty. With the hand of, yes, indeed, you placed that morsel in love's mouth. Samani and others, for example, Ruzbahan Bakli, also describe Sama audition, or the sense of hearing, as linked to the covenant. Ruzbahan says, for example, that the Sufis' ritual practice of Sama originated on the day of the covenant, so when he uses the word, 
he's often alluding to the covenant. Ruzbahan, Enul Kadat, and others have also cited the day of the covenant as the day that God first revealed his beauty, causing love to appear, so that those advanced on the spiritual path may experience beauty in this world as a reminder of the beauty of God on that day. In addition, music is also cited as something triggering the memory of the day of the covenant. It is reported that the 10th century Junaid was asked, why is a man usually quiet, but becomes agitated when he hears music? He answered, God addressed the souls during the primordial pact, saying, am I not your Lord? They answered, yes, we testify. And the spirits fully absorbed the sound of these words. So whenever they listen to music, the remembrance of that original act of hearing agitates them. There are potentially many other examples. One researcher has claimed recently, there's hardly any classical Sufi poem in any Islamic language that does not invoke the primordial love story of the covenant embedded in the Quranic account of humanity's pre-cosmic existence. So the authors I've mentioned so far preceded the 13th century Ibn Arabi, and our question now is whether or not Ibn Arabi and others of his school spoke of the covenant in a similar fashion. We can begin with Ibn Arabi himself, as we find a mention of the covenant in his major text, the Futahat. Here he draws a parallel between the pain of love and the covenant. The subtlest thing, he says, the subtlest thing that you may find in love is an excessive passion, a longing, an agitated yearning, a passion, a wasting away, and an inability to sleep or to take pleasure in food, all the while that you do not know who it is or how it is that you love, and your beloved does not become specified for you. This is similar to the covenant made with the children of Adam, that he is our Lord, so that no one can deny it afterwards. Hence, you find in the original nature, the fitra, of every human being, a poverty and a need toward an existing, existent thing that can support him, and that is God. But he's not aware of him. Sayyid Farghani, a student of Ibn Arabi's foremost student, Sadruddin Kunawi, uh, identifies the peace, the, the place of the covenant. And Farghani is two steps removed from Ibn Arabi, note that. In his commentary on a poem by Ibn al-Farid, the Tayya, the poem of the way, uh, in it he addresses the hadith of the hidden treasure as the key to understanding the place of the human being. I was a hidden treasure, and I loved to be recognized. Arafah. So I created the creatures so that I, I would be recognized. He describes the gradual unfolding of love, descending through stages and levels. It is a story in two parts. Part one is a descent of love into the world of creation, and part two is the human being's participation in a returning ascent. And this will be familiar to some of you familiar with Ibn Arabi. So the first half of the story of love is the dissemination of the divine names in all the levels. The descending arc, Nuzuli. The ascending arc, Sudi, 
is when the human being becomes involved in love seeking, striving to recognize God through all his names and attributes, fulfilling God's expressed desire in the Hadith. I love to be recognized, so I created the creatures so that I could be recognized. And this is the important part. For Fargani, the descending arc begins with the covenant of a last, where God and human beings affirm the relationship between themselves and creation begins. The ascending arc ends with the actualization of the perfect human being who recognizes God through all his names and attributes. There's another poem by Ibn al-Farid that was used to transmit teachings in the school of Ibn Arabi, the Khamriya, or the wine ode. There's general agreement among the commentators that the subject is the wine that was shared on the day of the covenant. The beginning of the poem reads, We drank wine in the remembrance of the beloved. We were drunk with it before the vine was created. One more time. We drank wine in the remembrance of the beloved. We were drunk with it before the vine was created. One of the commentators of Ibn Arabi's school, Dawood Qaysari, says of the wine, one who never knew it is moved by its memory. That is, one who never knew of the wine or the drinking of it is moved by mention of it during the audition session, Sama. Again, referring to the Sufi practice of Sama, as was mentioned by Sufis in the earlier period before Ibn Arabi. Interestingly, the wine ode alludes to a group of people who were together on the Day of the Covenant and who remember. The 15th century uh, Jami, also of Ibn Arabi's school, in his Lawame, or Sparks, writes that he saw this group of people himself. And here his verses are addressed to God. This is Jami. I am alone, I am not alone in worshiping the wine of your love. Who has been delivered from this wine? Tell me yourself. On the day I took this wine in hand, there they were, the wine worshippers of the last. Jami describes his experience of the covenant as drinking from the, quote, paradisial cup of recognition, marifa, and the heavenly wine of love and affection. And this is Jami again. Your love, addressing God, your love brought me to this dwelling without head or root to renew the ancient covenant. It poured into my mouth a cup from the vat of proximity. I became tipsy. My tongue loosened to speak. I'll conclude by saying that within the Sufi tradition in general, and likewise with Ibn Arabi and these representatives of his school, God's address to human beings in the covenant shows a movement of divine love inclining toward the human being. For those who incline in return, it causes the memory of that day to emerge. It is as if the hidden treasure who loved to be known created the one who could know him and then lovingly drew out this slow period of recognition over a lifetime so that it could be savored like a morsel of food, music, or the wine that the poets have described. This intimate relationship between the creator and his creation is reflected in some verses from Ibn Arabi's Fusus al-Kam, the ringstones of wisdom, uh, from the uh, ringstone of Ishmael. 
where he mentions God's address to human beings at the covenant. Thou art slave, and thou art the Lord of whom thou art slave. And thou art Lord, and thou art the slave of him who hath a promise in his address. Read it one more time. Thou art slave, and thou art the Lord of whom thou art slave. And thou art Lord, and thou art the slave of him who hath a promise in his address. It is here that the words of, am I not your Lord, become tender. A promise of love from the creator. 